So if you open up God's Word to Mark 12, you can leave your, leave your Bible open to there. The name of the message today is, is actually called Toxic Religion. Toxic Religion. When I went to seminary in California, I had to live in L.A. for almost five years. We lived in Los Angeles. We lived in that part of Southern California, kind of on the outskirts of Los Angeles, the city itself, but we lived in the greater Los Angeles area. And we would often fly, uh, as often as we could, we would fly back to Florida to see her family. We would fly to Arkansas to see my family. And one particular trip, we had a window seat, and we were flying over L.A., just left the airport circling around, getting in the, the traffic for, for jets. And I happened to look out the window and look down, and I said, oh, my goodness, what in the world is that? And my wife leaned over, and she said, what? I said, that, that stuff down there. She said, honey, that's smog. I said, that's smog? She said, yeah, that's smog. I'm like, we, we lived there. <laughs> We've been living there for years. We're breathing that. She said, yeah, I know. That's part of the planet we live in. Smog, and some of it has to do with pollution and industrial, and it's a big city. And I'm like, how come we don't see it when we're down there? She said, well, you can. It's when you're in a toxic environment, you can't always see it as, as plain as day before your eyes, right? Sometimes it takes somebody giving you a different perspective, very often, it's when you're out of that toxic environment, you're out of that toxic culture, you can look back and say, oh my word. But sometimes, you're so blinded by it, you're just drinking in this toxicity and it dulls your senses and you're deceived. It happens, I've seen it so often in my 15 years of ministry. Sometimes it takes somebody else giving you the true perspective that you need that you could not arrive at on your own. And that's exactly what Jesus does here in this section. I know this is a bigger chunk of Mark's gospel, but I'm convinced that all three of these little mini-sections that we're taking together, these could, I could do a, a mini-series on each one of these little sections that we're looking at today. We're looking at three sections together. It's only nine verses, but I think they're all connected. And they're connected in this way with the, this phrase that Jesus says. He says this. He says, beware of the scribes. Beware of the scribes. That whole section, that's the one uniting theme that, that, that brings it all together. And that's really sad when you think about it. If you are at a place where somebody is telling you, hey, look, you know those people that are your leaders? They're leading you. They're your shepherds. They're the gatekeepers of your life. They're supposed to lead you and protect you and fight for you and shepherd you. Yeah, watch out for them. They're dangerous. They're toxic. When you get to a place... Where that's the state of affairs, man, you're in trouble. You are in serious trouble. And that's exactly what has happened here. You know, what's interesting, we're in the 12th chapter of Mark, going into the 13th. This is the very end of, of the ministry of Christ. In just three days' time, he's going to be hanging on a cross. And I'm convinced this conversation is going to be what expedites it. In God's plan and God's program, they could not get past what he said on this day at this time in the temple. Um, but Jesus, for his entire ministry, he's been having this dialogue with the leaders. He's been exposing them. He's been so gracious. He's been so gracious to expose their hypocrisy and their rebellion and their blindedness and point out the truth, remind them, I'm the Messiah. I'm the King of kings and Lord of lords, and I'm, I've come here to die for your sins. This dialogue, they were not open to it. They were not humble. They were not receptive. They were not 
soft. They were calloused. They were hardened. They were unrepentant. They were proud. They were angry. They were malicious and murderous. And so this is the end of Jesus' dialogue with the leaders. He's done. He's finished. From this, after today, he's not going to talk to the leaders anymore. He's finished with them. He's going to turn his attention to his disciples. So this is really for us. This is for the disciples of Jesus. It's like one last flag in the ground Jesus throws. And he says, look, this religion, this system, it's corrupt. It's dangerous. It's bankrupt. It's apostate. You need to leave. In fact, the word beware in Greek, it comes from a word that means to, to turn, to look away. To look away. He says, turn your back on this. You see those leaders over there? Turn your back on them. Unfollow them and unfriend them. Be done with them. They're blind guides leading the blind. And you know, you know the rest of that quote from another place, right? If you follow a blind leader, what's going to happen? Both you and they are going to be in the ditch. I was thinking of this earlier this week. I was talking to my wife about it. I can't imagine anything worse than somebody who's leading you, who's responsible for you being blind. Can you imagine? Can you imagine calling an Uber driver and he shows up <laughs> and he gets out of the car and he's got dark sunglasses on and a blind cane and he's poking around the car and he says, can I help you with your luggage while I take you to the airport on I-4? <laughs> what would you say? You're like, you know what, bro? Thank you. I think I got this. I got a bicycle and some friends. Anyway, here's a tip. Can you imagine anything more crippling than having the person that's responsible to lead you and teach you and feed you and protect you being blind? But that's the, it's almost, if it wasn't so tragic, it would be funny. Jesus is pointing out their hypocrisy. He's saying, turn your back on them. Walk away from them. This whole thing is toxic and it's going to cave in and you don't want to be around when it does. Because people were trapped in the system. They were trapped in it. They had nowhere to go. And Jesus is exposing these leaders in this system and he's saying it's too late, it's done, it's over. That's why I think in verse 37, look at this. Look at verse 37. After the first section here where he's confronting them with their ignorance of scripture, look at verse 37, the very end. And the great throng heard him gladly. Is that interesting to you to read that? Jesus is like publicly flogging verbally their religious leaders and they're happy. <laughs> they're happy about it. Why? I, I, I believe this. I believe toxic religion, toxic churches, there's this one element that's present and it's, and it's so confusing and hard for people to overcome and it's this. Everyone there knows something's not quite right. You ever been in a toxic environment before? You know either if it's a career or a relationship or a religion or a church, your antennas are up. Something's just not quite right about this place and the leaders here. We can't, maybe you're too timid. You're like, but I know, you know, they're the authorities and God put them in authority over our lives. And so who are we to question anything? I think all those scribes and Pharisees and lawyers and priests, they had such authority that had been built up over the years. They were untouchable. Nobody could touch them or lay a hand on them or criticize them or anything. And I think all the people there knew these, these, these leaders, there's something wrong about them. And nobody, could ever, nobody ever had the courage or the audacity to call them out until Jesus came. Jesus came and he exposed them. And of course the throng heard him gladly. I would have liked to have been there and watched this. Not because I'm sadistic and love seeing people get exposed, but just because... It just makes me appreciate Jesus all the more. Not only did he come and die for our sins, as if that wasn't enough, 
But man, he called out the false leaders who were fleecing the flock and exploiting people and abusing their authority. And I love that about him, don't you? So the great throng heard him gladly, and he's saying, turn your backs on this system. It's okay. It's okay to leave. It's okay to leave. It's the right thing to do. Get out of this system. It's toxic. And you know, when you're in a toxic environment, you don't escape, you don't escape unscathed. Did I say that right? It's, it's not good for you. That's the, that's the word toxic means dangerous, bad. You don't need to be breathing this air in. It's going to kill you, dude. It's going to destroy you. It's weakening you. It's weakening your, your immune system. You're going to be sick and unhealthy. You're not going to be any good to yourself or anybody else. And you're too weak and sick and timid and afraid and confused and abused. And you're not going to get out of there unscathed without somebody helping you. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to rescue us from our own sins and from toxic religion. And that's what this whole section here is about. And I just find it, I use the word interesting way too much here, but I just find it interesting. The confrontations Jesus had weren't with like adulterers and tax collectors. They got along fine with Jesus. They saw him as the remedy to their life, his savior, somebody to free them from condemnation. No, his confrontations were with who? The leaders. And man, may we never forget that. He had qualms with religious people and religious leaders to be specific. So interesting to me. So Jesus is warning them, you are going to be crushed in this system with these leaders if you don't get out of it. And it's not that Israel didn't have leaders. They did. They had tons of leaders, tons of Pharisees and scribes. And, you know, another place in Matthew 9, Jesus, he came to a mountainside and he saw all the people there. You remember this? It says he saw them and his heart was breaking for them. And he had compassion on them because... Let me quote it. This is what it says. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, the problem is not that they didn't have a shepherd. They had tons of shepherds. They had tons of Pharisees and scribes. They had tons of people telling them what to do, what decisions to make, how much money to give, where to go, what movies to see, what music to listen to. They had tons of that, right? They just didn't have a good shepherd. That's why it says they were harassed. Have you ever been harassed by somebody? It's not fun, is it? You ever been harassed by religious leaders? That's the worst. He had compassion on them. He felt terrible for them. He, his heart ached. That's what compassion means. Your pain and my heart. Because he saw them. They're being fleeced. They're being scattered and harassed. And Jesus has had enough. Jesus has zero tolerance for toxic religion and toxic leaders. And I think we should too. And hopefully this passage will help us to do just that. Mark is actually a really, and this is all introduction, don't worry, we're going we're gonna to get into the text. Mark is actually a really toned down version of what really went down here. It's just really short, abbreviated, summarized. It's kind of like cliff notes, right? It's kind of like if you're asking somebody to tell you what happened, Mark's version is what you want, right? You're like, get to the point, give me the good stuff. Matthew is like the extended version. And, and we, of course, we're limited in time. We can't go into all of, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us what happened here. Matthew is the longest. And if you still believe in your heart that Jesus is like this happy-go-lucky, oh, oh, shucks, oh, gosh, he's naive, he's passive, he's Mr. Smiley, he's a pushover, He's, he's never going to confront anybody. He's always running away from conflict. If that's the vision and the view of Jesus that you have, hopefully this sermon will destroy it. But if it doesn't, when you get home today and you have time, 
Open up Matthew's gospel to chapter 23 and just meditate on everything Jesus says there. It's 36 verses long. You will have never read anything like it in your life. If you want to know how passionately Jesus feels about the things that Mark just tells us a little, we're just getting to the edges of it with Mark. Matthew goes much deeper because that's the chapter that's known as the seven woes. The seven woes. Have you ever, you ever read that? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe, he says it seven times. And it, you know what? Let me just read, just, just give you a real little snippet. Would you like that? Let me, this is like the worst part of it or the best part, depending on what your vantage point is. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with one finger. You know what that is? That's just straight up legalism. That's straight up legalism. Telling people, if you want God to love you, if you want God to bless you, if you want God to save you, here's the list. Here's the grocery list of how to live your life. Here it is in the extended form, and you need to do that. And yet, they weren't willing to lift one finger to help them, and they themselves wouldn't do it. They wouldn't keep their own list. Jesus says, woe to you, shame on you. You ought to be ashamed of yourselves doing that to people. But then he says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Just let that sit for a second. Your religious leaders, your spiritual leaders that are supposed to help you connect to God, and yet they're shutting the kingdom of heaven in your, face, in your faces. How toxic is that? And yet I would venture to say that happens all over the place in churches. Right now, this morning, there are spiritual leaders doing this. Two people sitting in front of them. And it's tragic. And nothing makes Jesus angrier than, th than that. And nothing makes me angrier than that. And nothing makes me not want to be that or do that to you than reading about it. And that's why I covet your prayers. I want to be a tender, humble shepherd to you. Anyway, let me keep reading this. For they shut up the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. So there's people that would enter the kingdom of heaven, but these leaders won't let them. I mean, picture that in your mind. Somebody's trying to get to God, right? And somebody's grabbing their foot and not letting them. That's the, Jesus gave this picture. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I know if God doesn't open your eyes, nobody will seek the Lord. I know that. But Jesus paints a picture. There are people that would enter the kingdom, but these leaders are harassing them and not letting them. Man, how tragic is that? And then he says this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. That means a convert. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides. How will you escape the sentence of hell? This is serious stuff here, isn't it? This is serious stuff. So Matthew is the extended version, but Mark gives us the, the short version. So we're going to look at Mark. And three things. How do you know that you are in a toxic religion? How do you know you're in a toxic church? And I've thought about this and I thought, how awkward that I'm, I'm standing in front of a church, Grace Life, and I'm saying, now you need to watch out. If you see these things, you need to get out. And yet this, <laughs> but I'm telling you right now as your leader, if any of these things are ever true of me or this church, you need to leave. You need to leave like yesterday. And you don't need to meet with me and, 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 and explain all your... If you see all these things, get out while you can get out, okay? I can tell you that with the authority that God has placed on me as a pastor. 
So three points today. I hope that made sense. I mean, don't leave. You know, stay, stay and hear the sermon. Toxic religion. Three points. What does toxic religion and toxic religious, uh, religious leaders do? Well, number one, they diminish the work of Christ. Two, they abuse their authority. And three, they ignore the marginalized. So we're going to look at each one of those in the few minutes that we have here. Um, point number one, they diminish the work of Jesus. Look at this first section here. Verse 35, and as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Look back up at verse 34. Jesus was just talking about <clears throat> the kingdom of heaven and which commandments are the greatest. Uh, and then he says this. He says to this young man that, that answered rightly what the greatest commandment was, he says, you are not far from the kingdom. And it says, and after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So Jesus has silenced the leaders. They're, not, they're done with him. They know they're not going to get anywhere. In fact, they may lose people if they keep trying to talk to Jesus. So nobody asked Jesus any more questions. But Jesus is going to ask them some questions, right? They're done with Jesus. He's not done with it. It's like if you ever got beat up, this is a terrible illustration probably, but I come from a rough it, tough it background. I just remember I fought a lot as a kid. And if somebody picked a fight, this is probably a bad illustration to use. You've seen fights before where somebody's like, enough, enough, I'm going. And the guy's like, oh no, I'm not finished yet. You know, this is kind of like it is here. They're wanting to get away and Jesus is like, uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm not done with you yet. You've asked me all these questions and now it's my turn, buddy. It's, 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 it's time for exposure. We were just talking about how close to the kingdom this guy is. Since the king is standing right in front of you, let's, talk, let's just not talk about the kingdom. Let's talk about the king. What do you actually know about the king? Because you guys are the experts. That's what a scribe was. He was an expert in the law, a professional. He would study the Old Testament backwards and forward. He had memorized it. He was responsible for teaching the people. He was supposed to be the dude that you went to, the guru, right? So Jesus is like, hey, now you, you scribes, I want to know what you think about the Messiah. Who is the Messiah? Now remember, we're talking about toxic religion. And one of the first things you're going to find true of any toxic religion or toxic culture or toxic church is this. They diminish the work of Jesus. They do not get his identity right. Who he is, what he came to do, and whether or not he accomplished it. They never get that right. And that's what Jesus is pointing out here. Because this is what the scribes believed. They believed that when the Messiah would come, the Savior, Yeshua, when he would come... He would be this great political leader, and he would lead the nation of Israel back into their days of greatness. When they were at the, the pinnacle, at the, their height of their kingdom, when David and Solomon were kings, and they were on top of the world, and everyone else was subservient to them, that's what they believed. The Messiah would be just this political social justice warrior. That's what they thought. He would come and make everything right, and... Uh, fix everything that was broken and feed everybody and poverty would be eliminated and that's the only thing they thought. It's not that they were totally wrong. They were only half right. They were only half right. So they were looking for this superhuman, right? That was David's son. He would be an offspring of David. He wouldn't quite be what David was, but he would be the son of David. And so Jesus is going to point out their, their great flaw. He's saying, how is it that you guys say that the Messiah is David's son and only David's son. 
when in Psalm chapter 110, Jesus gets out his Bible, he gets out his scroll, and he says, you guys know this Psalm, you've taught on it, right? He says right here in Psalm 110, David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And he says, if David himself calls him Lord, how is he his son? And just so nobody's confused, this is what he's saying. David is calling his son his Lord. That's weird. <laughs> That's really weird. If you're a great patriarchal king, you don't call your offspring your Lord. That's just weird. You wouldn't do that if you were a Jew, right? Fathers were given all the authority. Sons were given really none until they came of age and until they got the inheritance of their father. In fact, the words used here are really important in Psalm 110 because he says, Yahweh said to my Adonai, sit at my right hand. This is like deity language. These are like two gods talking to each other. And Jesus is saying, you guys know this psalm so well. How is it that David, the man, the king, is calling his son divine? How's he saying, the Lord, Yahweh, said to my Adonai, my son, sit at my right feet. Jesus is saying, if the son, if the Messiah is only the son of David, why is he called Adonai? Does that make sense? I know this is kind of deep. You got to put your scuba, scuba gear on a little bit. He's saying, you guys only say that the Messiah is a man, that he's only a human, that he's only a descendant of David, and then you stop there. You don't go far enough. No, David calls him divine. David calls him God. And, and, and I will tell you this, guys. Every cult, every false religion, every toxic religion has this one thing in common. And when you identify it, run. They make Jesus less than what he really is. Always diminish the person and the work of Jesus. I have had people that came to my front door and I have talked until I'm blue in the face and I don't talk to them anymore because you will not get anywhere with them. I'm not telling you not to. I'm just telling you I get angry. I can't handle it. I'm just like, look, man, if you leave your literature here, I'm going to set it on fire, you know, and you're not supposed to be in this neighborhood. So go away. <laughs> just being honest with you today. Okay. I should be more kind and invite them in, but I've tried that. It doesn't work. I just end up getting angry and argue and then lose my testimony. But this is what they're always trying to, this is what I always argue about. Like, who is Jesus? Oh, well, he's, he's the son of the most high. Well, is he, is he created or is he, is, he, is he the creator? Well, we, you know, we can talk about, no, 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 stop. I ask you a question. Is he created or is he the creator? And they won't answer. Why? Because they make Jesus less than something he is. Oh, he, well, he's an angel. No, he's not. He's not. Angels were created. Jesus is the creator. It says by him all things were created. And through him all things consist and exist and survive. He's not an angel. He's not a creature. He's not the brother of Lucifer. I mean, every false religion has this one thing in common. They're going to make Jesus less than what he really is. Well, he's a great teacher and he's, he's going to make an amazing king. Yeah, yeah, I get all that. But let's just cut through the chase. Is he God or is he not? Right? And Jesus is saying, you guys missed it. And every false religion in the world will miss it too. Jesus is divine. He's God in human flesh. He's God who condescended and became a man, crawled inside a human body, subjected himself to time and space and torture and suffering and died on a cross for our sins. And listen, not only do toxic religions get 
the identity of Jesus wrong, they diminish his work. They diminish his work. Look at this next part that he quotes here. The Lord said to my Lord, well, what did he say? He said this, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Well, what's that all about? Well, you know, when you sat down at the right hand of a king, you were his most important person. And if you were his most important person, you were usually busy doing stuff, right? You were the runner. You were the executive whatever. And you were busy doing things, making connections, setting appointments, getting to work, fighting the king's battles. You were never sitting down until you were finished, until victory was accomplished, until it was done. And the quote here is really interesting in Psalm 110 because Jesus is pointing out, hey, look, you'll know the true Messiah when you see him because he has something to accomplish. He came with a mission. And you guys don't even understand the mission, and you're not going to understand when it's done, but I will, and I'll teach that to my people. In fact, did you know Psalm 110, if you're a geek, okay, Old Testament, New Testament nerd, Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. It's quoted some 30-something times. And I think this had a dramatic impact on the disciples. They were there. They were listening. They were watching. They were like, dude, did you hear that? Psalm 110 is about Jesus. Let's study it. And so all the rest of the New Testament, these quotes are coming out. In Hebrews, there's a quote. There is a quote in, uh, yeah, here it is. In, in Hebrews 10, verses 11 through 14. And it's talking about Jesus as the great high priest. And you know, every year the high priest would go inside the uh, Holy of Holies. That was the only time of the year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. He could go into the Holy of Holies and he would make atonement for the people uh, and he would have to purify himself for days. It was a really... We've talked about it before in here and I don't want to belabor the point. He would be very nervous going in there. <laughs> if he carried sin that was unconfessed, he could be zapped on the spot, right? But that priest did that every year, every year, every year. He never would sit down. He was never finished. More goats, more lambs, more heifers, more cows. There was always blood being shed to atone for the sins of the people. The priest would never sit down. But look at what Hebrews says. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. What's that? That's Psalm 110. That's Jesus quoting it, saying, you don't understand who I am. You don't understand that I'm God, and you don't understand that I'm about to make a sacrifice in three days' time, and it's going to be finished once and forever. This whole, this whole temple system is, is, is going to be fulfilled. You won't need it anymore. All the sacrifices are going to be obsolete. You guys know that? When Jesus died on the cross, and when it went dark, and when there was an earthquake, and when the temple curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the common people was ripped in two from the top to the bottom, from that moment... From that moment, all the sacrifices had been fulfilled and there was never any need to slaughter another animal. Not, not ever. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> you know the lambs liked it. They were like, finally. Because <laughs> the priest can sit down, he's finished. And only Jesus could do that. Only Jesus could say, I'm done because I've offered a perfect sacrifice. You'll never have to slaughter another lamb because I'm the perfect lamb. Spotless, without blemish, I'm the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. See, false religions get that wrong. They get that wrong. They don't focus on that. They focus on do, do more, do more, do more. Christianity says done, it's finished. Every other religion in the world says do, 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 do. 
So Jesus is pointing out that toxic religion diminishes the person of Jesus, diminishes the work of Jesus. And I'll say this. I'll, I'll go not a step further than Jesus did. I'll just tease it out a little bit. I think this. I think toxic churches, maybe they get a, some of that right, but then they think, well, we never need to talk about the sacrifice of Jesus again. That's just for evangelism. We never need to really highlight and celebrate the gospel because that's just, you only need to talk about the gospel when it's an evangelistic service or when you're out there doing evangelism talking to unbelievers. No, we need to continually focus on the finished work of Jesus. That's why we have what we're going to do at the end of this service. That's why we have communion. This do in what? Remembrance of me so that you don't ever forget the things that Jesus is pointing out here. So... I had a whole bunch more to say about that point, but you can't say everything in a sermon. We'll go back another time. Point two. Point number two. Um, not only do, does toxic religion diminish the work of Jesus, diminish the identity of Jesus. Point number two. Toxic religion has leaders who abuse their authority. And I could, I, I could spend the rest of the time talking about this, but it's, I'm not going to. This is just point two, but man, this is a huge point. Look at this. Verse 38, and in his teaching, he said, beware, by the way, nobody answered his question. He asked a question, nobody answered it. Don't you think that's interesting? They're the scribes, they're the experts, they're the gatekeepers to scripture. Jesus asked them a very simple question about a psalm that they had memorized and nobody said a word. You could, I, that's why I wish I was there. I, I want to see their faces. Jesus says, what's that? No? Okay, next point. Verse 38. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Man. He ends his, his diatribe against them with... You're not going to escape judgment for what you're doing to these people. James says that. I have nightmares about this at times. I wake up in a cold sweat thinking, it's Sunday. I've got I to gotta get up and stand in front of people and hold up the Bible and say, this is what God says to you today. James 3 says, let not many of you be teachers, knowing that yours will be the stricter judgment. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't you dare think, scribes and Pharisees, you're going to escape unscathed from this. What you're doing, what you know you're doing, you're abusing people. This is spiritual abuse. But the short description, again, if you want to read the long description of all they did, how they abused their authority, read Matthew 23 later. This is the condensed, squished version, okay? This is the newspaper version, on the go. But he says basically just a few things. If I could, if I could reduce it to three things, it is this. They're proud, they're greedy, and they're hypocritical. Toxic religion has toxic leaders who are always proud and they're greedy and they're hypocritical. And that means everything that Jesus says here, they love honor. They demand acknowledgement. They crave authority and attention. They want to be recognized. They want the best seats of honor. They, want, they, they love titles. Oh, they love titles. Call me, call me exalted teacher. Call me father. You know, when I was, when I was growing up, I hope this doesn't offend anybody because some, some things are traditional and I come from a very traditional buckle of the Bible Belt southern, southern town, okay? And a, a Southern Baptist church. And every Southern Baptist church I was ever a part of, there's the pulpit in the middle and there's these two chairs up here. You guys ever been to one of those churches? 
there's two chairs and they look really royal. They look, look like they, they look like they belong in a throne room or something. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong because maybe the leaders don't mean what some leaders mean, but it was for the music director and it was for the pastor. And I've preached in those churches when they invited me to preach and I had to sit in that chair through the whole beginning of the service and everybody's staring and it's just weird. I've always been weirded out by that. But Jesus says that, that teachers, does, they love that. I didn't like it. And I think a lot of the preachers would, if that would just go away, they'd be more than happy to sit down there, right? But not the Pharisee and the, the scribes. They loved it. There was a platform in the synagogue, and there were chairs there, and they wanted to sit up there. Why? They wanted people to look at them, to exalt them, to praise them, to worship them. As they love that. They love, they crave it. They can't live without it. They argue over who gets the best seat. They argue about titles. Call me... You know, Reverend Tommy Douglas, doctor, PhD, you know, summa cum laude. They love stuff like that. They love it. And I'll, I'll say this. The seminary that I went to, I went to the master seminary in, in Southern California because I trusted the president of that seminary, John MacArthur. Not only did I go to his seminary, I went to his church, and I actually worked for him at two different places. I was a security guard, an overnight Barney Fife at his college, Master's College, and then I worked at Grace to You. I was a broadcast editor, and then I was a copy, uh, a content, whatever, content developer for the blog. Um, and you know what I really appreciate? I appreciate a lot of things. He's, he's my hero in a lot of ways. But the thing I appreciate about John MacArthur is he is an accomplished man. I mean, e even unbelievers will look at him and say, man, that's what you want right there. Written like 150 books. He's got a college. He's got a seminary. Got an amazing family. He's been the same pastor of the same church. He just celebrated 50 years. 50 years, same pastor in the same church. That's pretty amazing. He's preached through the entire New Testament verse by verse. Preached and written a commentary on every book in the New Testament. I mean, that's pretty incredible. And he's, I think he's, is he 80 years old, I think? And he's still preaching every week. It's funny because they just had his 50th celebration and they're doing all this stuff. And then John was getting worried. I watched the live feed of it and he got up and he said, look, just so you know, I'm not done here. He said, I'll be back here next week. We'll be in 2 Thessalonians. I'm not retiring. He's like 80 years old and he's still preaching the word. I love it. But here's what I love the most. One time John was walking out of grace to you and I was a newbie. I was brand new. They just hired me. And I was walking in. I said, hi, Dr. MacArthur. How are you? And he stopped and he looked at me and he said, it's John, just John. And he wasn't doing that to even draw attention. He really meant it. He does not like to be called doctor or somebody called him Father MacArthur once. Um, and he said, please, don't ever call me that again. I'm not, the, I'm not the source of anything. That's what Father means. I'm the source of, he said, I'm, don't call me that. John, he said, if Jesus was good enough for Jesus and Paul was good enough for Paul, you can call me John. And look, many of you call me pastor, and I think that's a term of endearment. But if you walk up to call me and call me, hey, Tommy, I can assure you, I can assure you, not for one iota of a second do I feel disrespected. In fact, I kind of like that, if you want to be honest. I'm just, a, I'm just an old country boy, man. Just, uh, I, I, I have enough struggles and battles with pride without a title. So anyway, that was off my notes there, okay? So these false teachers, they love to be esteemed. They love dignity. They love honor, prestige. They love to be exalted. I mean, you can read the description here. It goes down to what they wear. They walk around in these robes, and there's phylacteries on the bottom that talk about how much they love God and are known by God. And, 
Jesus in another place says they like to broaden those, make them bigger. Like, hey, your phylacteries are bigger than my phylactery. It was, it was crazy. Again, if it wasn't so tragic, it'd be funny. The links that how stupid and foolish they looked and they couldn't see it. I think all the people saw it, but they, those guys were untouched. They were like mafia dons, you know, they were untouchable. You don't touch them, which Jesus touched them. And in two days, he's on a cross. So that shows you the malice and the hate in their hearts. The hatred they had of being exposed. But let me just help you a little bit. I want to get real. I told Sarah, I said, I want to be really practical. So what, what, how do these leaders shepherd people? Okay. Here's, what, here's one of the telltale signs that you are in a toxic religion, a toxic church, and there's probably spiritual abuse happening. Are you ready? If you ever are under the leadership of people that will not accept any criticism at all, you should be concerned. If questions are off the table, you can never ask them a question about something they've said, something they've done, their practice, the way they conduct a service. If that's off the table and like, don't you dare question or criticize me, you need to be concerned. Because listen, I believe this with all my heart, a leader who cannot be questioned is a leader who should not be trusted ever. Now that, that may seem harsh to you, but I'm getting that right out of the Bible. You could not criticize one of the leaders in Israel. A Pharisee or a scribe? No way. That's why when Jesus finally questioned them, the great throng heard him gladly. They were like, yeah, fist bump, high five, finally. Finally, somebody has the gall to do what we, we were not able to, and unwilling to do. No, they hate that. They don't want to be questioned. They don't want to be criticized. They don't want to be exposed. They love to dominate and control and manipulate people. Man, it got so quiet in here. You guys know, have you known people that are under a, a religion like this or un, under a church like this? It's terrible. I'm telling you, and I don't know why. I do not know why. But we planted this church in 2015. We're in our fifth year. And I still meet people who come here. And they have been under a spiritually abusive environment for years. And it has taken such a toll on them. And I used to think maybe it's one or two or three churches. This is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It's, and there is not, because Satan is the founder of it. Satan loves this. He loves this stuff because listen, what a terrible contrast this is between Jesus, who's the shepherd that laid down his life for the sheep, and this. Satan loves this stuff. This is how he attacks the truth. This is how he tries to discredit the gospel. Is have a church that's spiritually abusive, controlling, manipulates people, exploits the weak and the vulnerable and the marginalized. Oh, Satan loves that. And I continually meet people. Melissa and I counsel people. They've been trapped in an abusive environment like this for years. And you don't escape a toxic culture without some, some collateral damage. And that's what a lot of the counseling is. Helping people heal from this. People that are maybe in an abusive marriage. And they go to, to a pastor for help. And the pastor says, you know what? He's your authority. Submit to him. We don't need to talk anything else about this. That happens all the time. All the time. More than, more than you would believe. And I'll give you an example. Do you guys remember in John chapter 8, it says, the religious leaders brought a woman to Jesus and threw her down at his feet. Do you remember this? And they said, teacher, we caught this woman in adultery. We caught her in the very act. I studied that passage and preached on it here years ago. Three different times it says, we caught her in the very act. Now, we're all grown-ups here, okay? If you catch somebody in the very act of adultery, what's that mean? 
It means there was two people there, right? Because it takes two to tango. There was a man and there was a woman. Now, you've got to scratch your head and you've got to ask yourself this question. Why did they only bring the woman? Have you ever wondered that? You may tell you the answer to that because they're spiritually abusive. They don't care about the woman. I mean, they care enough about the woman to use her as bait to trap Jesus. I was telling my wife, I said, you know, people have always, they've written novels on what did Jesus write in the sand? Did you know that in, in uh, John chapter 8? They said, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery in the very act. The law of Moses says, stone her. What do you say? And they got really quiet and everybody was watching Jesus. And you know what he did? It says he stooped down in the sand and he began to write with his finger. And I have read commentaries on people saying, this is what he wrote. It doesn't say what he wrote. We don't know. But we know this, whatever it was, whenever Jesus stood up and said, okay, so stone her, but let he who is without sin among you cast the first stone. Whatever he wrote in the sand, they ran away. Yip, 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 whatever it was. So I have my own theory about what he wrote. I think maybe what happened was that one of the religious leaders was the very culprit who was committing adultery with them. I know this is Tommyology. This is my own theory. And I think maybe Jesus bent down in the dirt and, 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 and wrote, you know, Rob, I know. <laughs> and maybe pointed an arrow in the sand. I don't, I don't know. Whatever it was, whatever it was, those dudes evacuated the situation in a hurry, didn't they? But that's just one example. Why did they just bring the woman? Why? Because they were spiritually abusive. That's why. They didn't care about marginalized people. They didn't, call, they didn't care about the people that suffered from this corrupt, toxic system that they were under all those years. They didn't give a rip. That's why when Jesus came, he elevated women. He elevated. I could preach a whole sermon. I will. I will preach a sermon on that. How Jesus liberated women in the right way. I don't mean the third-wave feminist. I don't mean any of that garbage. I'm talking about Jesus really gave women dignity and honor the way that we should. So where was I? Okay. <laughs> They resist criticism. They elude accountability. Ain't no Pharisee or scribe ever going to be accountable. None of them. They, they crave authority and they abuse it and they exploit people. It says they devour widows' houses. What's that about? Do you know you would get lost trying to read through the Old Testament and read about all the warnings to take care of the widows and the orphans? Why? Because in the ancient Near Eastern culture, they were the most vulnerable and the situations they found themselves in were the most dangerous. And more than anybody else, they needed to be helped. They needed to be cared for. They needed to be protected. They needed to be shepherded. And you know what it says about the scribes, what they did? Check this out, this last part here. They had the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor feast who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They devour. You know what that word means? They consume. They, they gobble it up. They gobble up and devour these widows. Well, what does that mean? Well, a widow's husband was gone, right? He had passed away. He, because of the ancient Near Eastern culture, probably made every decision. You know, he did all the paperwork at contemporizing this. He paid the bills. You know, he got the online login stuff. If my wife ever passes away, you guys pray. I'm in for a lot of reasons. She's got a folder that says, Tommy, if I die... Open this and go seek help because she does all of our paperwork, okay? In the ancient Near East, it was the exact opposite. If, if a woman was widowed, she would be in serious trouble. So she would need somebody to come alongside her, help her, uh, be, be an advocate for her. And that's what scribes also served as lawyers. But you know what they did? 
They would make a pretense. Now, they're there. We're going to help you. And we're going to help you with your estate and with your property and with your home and make sure that everything's okay. And what would they do? They would steal it right out from under her because she had no idea what was going on. You know how angry that would make Jesus? No, how angry it did make Jesus. They abuse their authority. They exploit people that are the most vulnerable and need the most help. That's crazy. That's why he says greater condemnation for you. Now, one more thing before, before we move on here. I wanted to say this earlier, and I'm running out of time here. Another, uh, I wanted to give you a, a practical, uh, just something practical, that when you're trapped in a toxic religion, the word trapped I use very literally because you can't leave sometimes. If you try to get out of there and escape, I talk to people all the time, when, when they are concerned about a church or a leader and they're ready to get out, and you, you, you can't leave. It's like the Hotel California, remember? <laughs> you can check out anytime you like, but you can't leave here. And I've seen that and I've heard of that. And that is just downright wrong. Listen, as much as it hurts me and pains me when people who come under my leadership here and join the church, as much as it pains me, I try not to take it personal when people leave. I, I want them to help me if I've neglected them or said something. Or, but listen, you guys do not belong to me. I want everyone to look up here. I want you to hear this. You do not belong to me. You are not cattle with a Grace Life or Tommy Clayton brand on your rear end. You are not my cattle. You are God's sheep. And I take my role as your shepherd very serious, but I do not own you. And I do not control where you do or do not go to church. You need to be in church, and you need to be in a gospel-centered church where you're discipled and you're taught. But if God brings you to a place where you either have concerns about, you know what, we're not getting something here that we would be getting at another church, and you need to leave, I'm not going to give you a hard time. Some, some, some pastors that I know, they think, man, you've got to really grill people. I, I just, I don't believe that. If, if, you shouldn't leave the wrong way. You shouldn't leave with unresolved conflict. You shouldn't leave if you're about to be under church discipline or anything like that. And I think there should be a conversation with leadership if you have concerns. But when somebody does arrive at the place where they believe God is leading them to leave your church and join another, um, I think if you're in a toxic religion, you're going to have a very hard time with that or they're going to pile guilt on top of you, make you think you're somehow outside of the will of God if he, through the direction of the Holy Spirit, leads you to go to another church that may need your help. I can elaborate more on that if you want to have a private conversation with me. I, just, I feel like I needed to say that to you. And I know that's dangerous to say that in a, in a smaller church because you're like, oh, great, I've been waiting for an invitation to leave. Well, no, come talk to me first, okay? But I'm just, I'm just telling you, I've seen that with churches, and I think that grieves the Holy Spirit because you're sheep, you're his sheep, right? I'm a shepherd, I'm your shepherd, but I'm not the great shepherd. You don't belong to me. I'm a sheep too, so we've got to be careful about that. Okay, we're 46 minutes in. I'm stopping right here, and we're going to do one final message on this last part because it's so, so important. 